Today in the show, we have one of my favorite creative people of all time, video game designer Tim Schafer, talking about rubber stamps. Let's get to it. So your hobby went from borderline to totally obsessive. Gavin's gonna find out how you got way too interested. Way too interested. Hey everyone, welcome to Way Too Interested, the podcast where we talk to interesting people and ask them about a subject they're currently obsessed with outside of their everyday lives. Then the two of us talk to an expert and get deep and do a deep, deep dive. <laughs> That's going to be a fun one. Uh, anyway, this is all, it's all new to me in, in a good way. Uh, it's a show about, this is our show about curiosity, discovery, and creativity, and most importantly, pursuing those little things that get stuck in your brain end up being way more fascinating than you ever expected. Uh, as I said, my name is Gavin Purcell, um, and I've been doing this now for a little bit of time. I'm having a good, fun time doing it, and I hope you're enjoying listening to it. Learning a lot as I go along here, but um, this episode particularly um, is a special one to me, only because my guest today, Tim Schaefer, who, if you don't know, you should dive into. If you love video games, you probably already know who he is. If you don't, please look him up. Super, super funny one of the most creative people I've ever met. Also, weirdly, I've known him now for, gosh, it's been almost, I feel like 20 years. It's how long I've known him, but I, I didn't know him prior. I knew him when I started working at a company called G4, and I was kind of focused on video game television. If you didn't know this already about me, you probably do. I'm pretty nerdy in general, but also I play a lot of video games. I grew up playing a lot of video games. So my experience with video game designers has often been how, say, uh, young fans of music might meet their music idols. I've had that experience meeting some of my video game idols, and Tim was definitely one of them. Um, his games are so funny, so well done. Actually, a side, very quick side story. One of my favorite things is that working at the Tonight Show was a, a, such a cool thing, and I got to meet so many amazing people and so and so many famous people. But still, to this day, the time that I think I got the most nervous meeting somebody um, was when I had time at G Four when I worked there, and I got to do a sit down interview with Will Wright. And if you don't know who Will Wright is, uh, you're probably again not super into the video game world. But Will Wright is the man who designed The Sims and SimCity, and he's like kind of very specifically for a specific type of person, the dream interview guest. In that time, it was me, and I my palms were sweaty. I got all the craziness. It, the interview went fine, but it was okay. Um, before we get jump into Tim's interview, let's talk about just three quick things that are I find interesting about Tim Schaefer. Okay, let's start with number one. So Tim and I first met when I, as I mentioned, I was working at a company called G4, and I was hired there to produce their news show, which is which was about as low budget as you can possibly imagine. We had essentially a public access style set. Um, but one of the great times I got to have was I would go to this event called Dice every year, which is a gathering of the best game developers where they get together and talk about kind of the future of the industry. And we were able to sneak in there and do like, you know, hour long interviews to talk about like games as art or the future of video games. And this was my chance to sit down with Tim. And like right away, I just got this vibe from him of just like, this guy is a good person. Anyway, this fact number one is Tim is a good person. He's a good vibe person. And you see this in any interview he does and you hear it in this one. So that's fact number one. Number two, you likely know Tim, if you know Tim, from the games he's created. Um, some of the most uh, recognizable games for gamers of all time. Specifically, he's worked a lot in very creative storytelling games. You know, the history of video games is very long and very boring to a lot of people, but I think one thing to be aware of is that you may have played these point-and-click games coming up where they would tell stories by you. would click on one thing and you'd move your character around to another. That's kind of where you got to start, but Tim took it to like a whole nother level in some of the games that he made. My favorite game of his is a game called Grim Fandango, and I encourage you to go find it, Google it, even just like watch it on YouTube. So it's a point and click adventure, but it's also a detective noir story, and it's also a comedy, and it's also about the afterlife. Your main character is named Manny, and he is a skeleton, a detective skeleton, examining uh, bad things in the afterlife. That's all I'm gonna say, go check it out. Number three, and this is all, these all feel like one thing in this one because I just am a big fan of Tim, but like Tim is an amazing writer. I think one of the funniest writers, you know, I put him up against many of the funniest writers in entertainment in general. 
And I think when you realize that when you play his games, you get a sense of that right away. And one of the things that's interesting about Tim's writing is that it's all kind of been trapped in these games. So it's like, if unless you're a gamer, you don't get a chance to really experience it. But I encourage you, even if you're not a gamer, to go find these clips, go find a game you can play of his and jump into it because he's super funny and you'll really enjoy the experience. Also, they, they have a lot of heart too. So he writes from a lot of heart. So those are three things that aren't really three things about Tim. They're just ways for me to kind of like say nice things about him. But you know, He's a good dude. All right, so let's get into today's interview. I'm pretty excited about this one as, as well. Uh, by the way, I get excited about all these. I think you've heard that already. Like, I am an excitable person, so hopefully you're enjoying them as well. This one, Tim talks about rubber stamps. Oh, there is a small note in this one, so a lot of the time, Tim's so excited to talk um, about this, and then with our guests later on, that you'll hear him kind of rummaging in his box. He has all these boxes of these rubber stamps that he collected as a kid, so... I hope you enjoy it um, and stick around for the interview in the second half with our expert. I'm super excited to have uh, Tim Schaefer here. Tim and I have known each other for a long time. Tim, welcome to uh, my podcast, this burgeoning weird world for me called Way Too Interested. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I can't wait to embarrass myself by talking about my thing that I'm way too into. Before we jump in here, I do want to talk about you a little bit because I believe one of the things that one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is because I'm a big believer in joy. And I think you share that belief. You I, you are one of the more joyful people that I've known over the course of my life. And I love how things like this bring people joy and people that obsessions that people have. And you had actually quite a few things originally to think about that you were trying to pick between. So do you find you have a lot of these kind of obsessions? Do you go down these pathways on things quite often? Yeah, I didn't think about it until we started talking about it. I, mean, I thought it was just a pandemic quarantine thing. Like everyone's gotten into jigsaw puzzles and we've gotten into like, you know, video games, but I started getting into retro video games, like old Atari games and Vectrex games. And, but then when you started talking about older ones, I started realizing, yeah, there was this phase that I was into origami or a lot as a little kid, like really wait to when I, sh you know, most kids were out there doing things in the sunshine. And, uh, you know, Legos, that's pretty normal. But like, I, and, you know, look at my, my life in these phases, heavy metal, you know, just these phases where I just, all of a sudden, just one thing takes over my entire brain and I work at it. And I, I isn't, 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 are you saying everyone's not like that? I think you and I are, but we might be weirdos. <laughs> I think that's the key. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a great topic. I'm glad you're doing this podcast because I think it's an interesting way to look at how the human brain behaves. I think it, I think it applies to so many things in life, like relationships and work and everything. Because all the, all the phases that you go through with these hobbies and relationships of the discovery phase and then the middle and then like the, you, when you leave them behind, why did that happen? Why did a relationship end? I think it's similar. I think that's actually right. And I find sometimes I feel like there are things that I wish I remembered to go further in or when I forgot about them, I go back to them and I'm like, why, why did I stop paying attention to this? You know, what was it about so much this money? Thing? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's probably true. Um, for those of you who don't know, Tim has been making video games for what, 25 years, 30 years, 30 years, 30, 30 years. years, and has made some really amazing games over the course of his life. Full Throttle, you mentioned Grim Fandango, a bunch of other ones. What about your curiosity and driving like to learn new things? What, what about that? How does that infect your making and your career and making new things? I think about this once in a while where, where I'll be listening to, say, a podcast you know, listening to podcasts, watching videos on YouTube and finding myself thinking of ideas for podcasts and YouTube videos. And I was like, wait, why am I doing this? I'll be the most unqualified person to make a YouTube video about any topic. Like what I, especially topics of like board games or something I've been into. That, and I was like, why am I doing that? And I think, oh, that, I think that's just uh, everyone's mind. Everyone's creative mind is like, you take in something, you watch something, you observe something. Your brain is always figuring out like, could I make that? I wonder if I can make one of those. Like, how are the, how's that put together? Let me see. Like, you can't help but thinking about that stuff, you know? And I think that's like a basic human survival thing. Like, uh, you, know, you watch, you know, your, your, you know, baby cub watching their mom take down an animal in the wild. I was like, could I do that? I wonder if I could. <laughs> Maybe how, not yet, um, baby cub. Yeah. yeah. That's how any animal like learns how to survive. And I feel like that's, that's the human condition is like, we watch TV and you start to look like it triggers different people at different levels. But a lot of us have like watched TV or watch movies and like, Oh, I could do that. I could act or I could, I could play the drums. Like you see someone doing something. And I think hobbies and are, are a similar thing. And, um, you're like, uh, either playing video games. You're like, Oh, I, I, bet, uh, I wonder if I can make a video game. What goes into that? How can I do that? What did you, what was the first game you made? What was it? First game I made. Yeah. Was it college? When I was a kid, I was trying to make them on my Atari 400 all the time. I made a oh, yeah. game called The Hideous Baby Bomber, which is kind of like Kaboom, but with, had, the guy was dropping babies out of a helicopter and you had to catch them at the bottom. That's fun. Never finished it. <laughs> were you, you were programming it from scratch? 
Like, was it back then on? Yeah, yeah like in basic, like Atari basic. And, uh, I really never finished. I, I mostly, me, a friend and I would get together and we'd make intro screens. Like, like two tanks would drive on screen, it would flash, and then there'd be lightning, and then the logo would appear. We'd get really into like when the different letters, letters would flash, and then we'd never make the game. We'd just make these like title screens. I was not a huge programmer, but I remember writing Infocom style games because I learned how to do basically if then statements, and it was like, Decks of interest. Oh my God, it was incredible. It was just the most incredible experience for me. And I I remember just being like, this is what I want to do. And then I went on to do none of that. <laughs> Instead, I just went on to play a bunch of them. Do you remember any names of any of your text adventures you made? You know, I, I this is going to sound weird, but I remember as a relatively like a horny 12-year-old writing a game all about like <laughs> going on dates with girls. <laughs> And I remember like just being like, this is what would happen on a date with a girl. And this is what you would do. And it was like, and then I remember there was that game. What was that game? Leisure to Larry. No, not Leisure to Larry. That's, that's a classic genre. But there was a game called Spellcasting 101. Do you know this game at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was like as if somebody had taken my 12-year-old horny brain and just made an actually full-fledged game out of it. And I was like, hey, I mean, this is a little too a far. Lot of games. A lot of games are like based on horny 12-year-old minds. Yes, that's true. Yeah, being exactly. able to actually make a game. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. I think we're in pretty good shape. We talked about what your first kind of like stamp experience was, but do you remember the moment when you realized that this was a thing that you were interested, that you were really going to do? Like, cause I think there's, there is that phase of an obsession when you first get started on something and you're like, wow, it's so cool. And then you take that next step further and you're like, this is going to be a big part of my life. Do you remember that moment around stamps? Well, I think it's a little different when you get into it when you're a kid because you have a little bit less self-awareness and you you don't think of it in terms of an identity as much. As when you're older, you're you're like, am I am I a flamenco dancing person? Am I a kind of person who does flamenco dancing? When you're a kid, you're just like, what's that? Give me more of that. I want some of that. And so you, I think it was probably the first time I bought like a display case for them. <laughs> like, because you know, I had a few. I had oh, my mom got this this S squirrel and I. Blah, blah, blah. And then I had five, and I was like, well, I'm going to need a box for the uh, 10. I, I need a box to hold 10 of these things. And then I got a box, and then got the first catalog. And so, but it's gradually, you don't really notice these things taking over your life in the way that, like, during quarantine, and we're getting hobbies. Like, when I started realizing that I had, like, eight eBay saved searches going on every morning of, like, vintage jigsaw puzzles, old Atari games, you know, <laughs> strange uh, GE show-and-tell record players, like, just weird old toys. It's like, anyway. What are those? Are those the ones? Just got it. You don't want to know because you'll get really there. So many. You could buy so many. What are they called? GE show and tell record players. And is it like, are they single play? I was talking about this in the, the last recording session for Raz and Psychonauts. Uh, Richard Horvitz, our actor, was like, you sound like someone who might get into the GE show and tell. And I was like, what's that? He goes, just you watch some YouTubes and enjoy. And I, I turned into, uh, I went into YouTube and I watched GE show and tell. And by the end of our recording session, I bought two of them. <laughs> like it's wow, just, it's just a little plastic. Looks like a TV set. I'm just gonna Google it right now while you're talking. Yeah, you're about gonna, it. you're gonna be out two hundred bucks in a second. But like it's like if it's a record player on top, and then a, you put in a film strip, and the film strip slides down in time to the record and puts on this crazy oh projected. God. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Holy cow! What this looks like? It comes right out of like some weird alternative future show. That is crazy. The only reason I had two is that I got the black one, then I realized the green one was a cool one. But the red one's pretty cool, too. And they made it for years. They have different versions of them. And they, if you own eBay, they have tons of records for it. And um, It looks like literally like an old TV, and then it has a record on the top of it. And does the, is the, was the video playing out of the record? Did the record drive the video? No. The, the, you can see there's a little... Um, stick that has a film strip on it film strip like oh, oh i see okay got it that makes sense and it sense. just gets eaten by the machine slowly feeds in the machine on this little mechanism that also spins a record and so it's timed to it and it's like a little like the, one of those little boop like turn the record you know and it but it would do it automatically and it's just it's just the kind of thing that i was like why did i get obsessed about that for really that was really a flash obsession yeah like i got really into it three days and i was like i think i gotta stop because it's like this is not sustainable, not sustainable in the same way, but some things are longer. Like when I got into heavy metal, you get into like a band. First time you heard Led Zeppelin. And then the old, before you had the internet, you'd have to go down to the record store and look at the back of all the records and be like, okay, this is the one that they made for, I think that you try and look at the dates and you figure it out. And there's this whole discovery phase of the, of the obsession where you're like so much to learn. I know nothing about Led Zeppelin. How many albums do they make? Who is in the band? And you start to do, you look at good, you know, look at books and you're like just discovery. And, and that's just, that's like when you first like throw the match on the the lighter fluid and the and the barbecue just take this flame takes off right and it's really easy like it's so interesting and then 
you get in this phase where you, you, you know, the basics and you're just kind of like, you kind of start collecting. You start, you kind of start going, okay, now I know how many albums I have, which ones are good, which ones are not as good. I'm, I'm going to get this one and that one. Like, or I got into board games and I would, you know, okay, I think I have, I got all the basics. I got settlers and all the basics, but I, what's that new one coming? What's that obscure one? And you start getting into that. And then you get into this phase where you really have to work at it if you want to keep going, which is like people who get into Atari games, like you learning about all these old Atari games. But then it's like your, your collection will just sit there unless you join like a high score challenge group on Facebook. And pretty soon you come up with these reasons for, for engaging in the hobby that or like ham radio. There are a lot of things that, or, or model trains. There are these switching contests. You can, yeah. how many switches does it take to move a locomotive around? And so, you have to, and it seems like, oh, these people are just coming up with excuses to play with their toys they bought. And that's exactly what it is, but it's fine. I've learned to like, it's fine. Like you do have to come up with these after a while because you have to feed an interest or a hobby and obsession or else you kind of peter away. And that's why you, that's why you stop. I think that's why you set these things aside eventually is that you stopped feeding it. You stopped being interested in the hunt of it, the acquiring, the learning, the growing, and you moved on to something else. Yeah, it's interesting. Some stuff sticks around longer than others, and I don't know if that's because it's your interest in it or because it's inherently more interesting. Or they're deep. They're just deeper. Like some things yeah. are just like like this show and tell. I think I pretty much scooped it. I think I got what I need from it. But like you know, heavy metal, you could get you could, it's up to you if you want to get into the Norwegian black metal. Like it's up to you if you want to go a little deeper. There's a lot more to learn. And uh, you know, in video games, Atari games. I keep finding these tiers of games I'd never heard of. I'm like, this is so interesting. But eventually, I'm gonna have all the ones I want. And so I do like high score challenges. It's like I feel like it all relates to relationships, like in marriage and love and everything like there's this there's that flash in the barbecue phase where everything's so easy and it's just you know you just can't think of anything else even if you tried yeah and then there's that phase where it's it, it evens out and then there's a phase where you have to work at it you have to like you know let's we have to make date nights we have to we have to we have to put effort into like seeing each other you know in this way and there's people that if you stop feeding it they will they fall apart they you know, people move on but you know you have to and there's nothing i think when you're young and you're a kid you're like oh these these old couples that have to have date nights and stuff you know you, know, you don't understand that like that's just that's a normal that's how that phase works if you really you know care about something you want it to last a long time you put that kind of work into keeping your own brain engaged with it so that you just are still discovering things you're still exploring you're still learning Tim Schaefer, tell us uh, right now what you are way too interested in. My name is Tim Schaefer, and I am way too interested in rubber stamps. All right, thanks. So this is a good one. I will say I had rubber stamps as a kid, but I think I was a little less into it than you were. And also, this is a little unusual because this is something you've been into or were into a lot more as a child and then as a teen, and then kind of fell out of, but have started to kind of dabble, maybe at least rediscover a little bit that interest. So tell me, where did this start? <laughs> give me give me the background on your rubber stamp obsession. You may not know, I think we have to explain what we're talking about, rubber stamps. Yes, like the yes. Hand, stamp, hand stamps you make impressions with. Some people think you're collecting like bouncy postage stamps. No. It's just like little wooden stamps with rubber on them that make an image when you stand, like little printing press things. And I, I think I started, I feel like my, like I was like seven or something. And my mom brought home from a craft fair, one of these stamps and, um, like the Dickens fair in San Francisco or something, some craft fair like that. The thing about rubber stamps is that the, like the first appeal to me was that uh, they're amazing physical objects. They're like really pleasant. Not all of them, but the ones I had, like a really nice sanded and treated piece of hardwood, usually like the handles, a beautiful piece of wood. And then there's a, a piece of um, a foam or a padding underneath that cut to the shape. And then there's the rubber. And when you get it, they're brand new and you see this negative image. And then so just as a thing to hold in your hands, they're just really satisfying. That's why collecting them is so fun because you just get all these things to touch, you know. And one of the things I'm always kind of shocked about by them and also by seeing them going back for this podcast is just a sheer variety of things that they made rubber stamps out of. Like, do you remember what the first rubber stamp you got was? I, you know, I brought, I, I, you made me go into my garage and dig them up and I was going to root through them. There's one of the boxes. I used to have this big steel case. I would, um, I would keep them all in, but I ditched in some, from, I feel like it was a, here's a banjo of a banjo. Oh yeah. Sippy the pinhead. Sippy the very contemporary for that. Era when I was collecting them. Here's a writer slaving over a typewriter, just like a neat piece of art. You know, I think the first one might have been this really weird fish or a cat. Around this era, like I found my brother's collection of underground comics, like really inappropriate for a kid to find, but exactly what you want to find in your brother's room when you go under his bookshelf and you find a secret compartment that opens up and, and just like slow death, freak brothers, all these oh, old, yeah. kind of hippie underground yeah. comics, right? Sure. And that's what a lot of this art looks like. It's like a very similar era, 70s and early 80s, 
underground art. Like this is 1977, all night media copyright 1977 is a bunch of chickens in a, in a band. I just think about like, who was I? Like why? Cause I don't really click them anymore. I still like them. Obviously I have them. And during the quarantine, I actually discovered them in that it was my wife and daughter's birthday. They had the same birthday. And I was like, Oh, I can't wait. It was like, you're, you're right in the height of, um, don't even look out your windows. <laughs> I was like, I can't get them any wrapping paper. I, I do have some presents, but I, 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 so I went in the basement and I found these rubber stamps and some uh, paper from packages, some brown paper. And just sit there and you make, you make, I was like, that's right. You make wrapping paper out of these things. You just repeat this image and it makes this cool pattern. And they, they never even can tell that it's this homemade object that you made in the garage 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Actually, that's something I'm really curious about. Cause like I think when I had them, I was never a super collector of them, but I remember getting them in grade school and kind of having them and putting them on my paper. But then people actually really make things with these, right? They're not just to like stamp on a random piece of paper, but people make collages or they'll make pieces of art with them. Yeah. I mean, some of the appeal is that it's art for the non-artist. Here's a box of the alphabet. I have a box of the alphabet. <laughs> Here's the, the lids has my name. Oh, that, that was it. That if I found the first stamp I ever had was this squirrel whose tail is the shape of an S. Oh, and that was like your mark. Would you like, would you like sign your uh, like drawings with those, with that stamp? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, here, right, Schaefer. I have my name spelled by this. That was it. My mom got that because she, because her name and everything. And I got distracted. What was the question we were talking about? Say, oh, it makes things. Yeah, you make things. I would cover like my. You have textbooks in school, and you make the brown paper bag book cover for it. And I would just stamp the hell out of those. Oh, this is one of my favorites. I put this on my job application to a record store, and I got the job. It's two records, kind of fifty style records. Yeah, I was sending in my resume, and I had this rainbow ink pad, and I stamped this all along the top. And I think that made it stand out from the other resumes. So I owe everything I have to... See how fun this is to hold? I mean, if you're listening, you don't really understand, but it's just like this heavy wood, nicely formed. There's the foam pad, and there's a rubber on top. They're They're just pleasant. What was the name of the company you mentioned? Because I know there was one company you got a lot of stamps from that our expert might hopefully we'll talk a little bit about later. Yeah, yeah. This is All Night Media who got kind of bigger later after, but this is back in the 70s when they were just in Forest Knolls, California, which is like, if you take Sir Francis Drake, <laughs> love is big, big for Marin residents, they'll understand this. Sir Francis Drake and Marin out, it passed San Anselmo, San Rafael, uh, Fairfax, you keep going into the boonies. It's like Forest Knolls, it's like this tiny, tiny, I don't know, I don't know who they were or maybe you're your expert who I haven't met yet. I'm hoping they'll be able to fill us in on that because to me, I was a kid, there was no internet, right? So right. I just had this printed catalog and I'd see the name um, All Night Media, and I would just kind of like wonder, who are they? People, where's Forest Knowles? And then later, uh, I would live in Marin, and I would drive out to Forest Knowles and, to get like brunch. <laughs> like secretly wondering where they're at, like look around for yeah, them? Like, where are they? I don't but anyway, so they, and they had a lot of underground comic artists to tie back into that appeal of like just weird. Some of it was like clip art from um, old-fashioned ads, you know, like the big guy with the big mouth pointing and like all those things from like old uh, – kind of like snake oil salesman type ads you see. And, and like, like so fun old clip art like that. And then just um, weird uh, artists, uh, underground artists. So, so I like that uh, style too. When you were getting into it, did you find other collectors that you connected with? I mean, obviously, I always think about how unlucky we were not to be around the internet because if you're into weird things or you like different things, there's you got to find people in person back then, and it's almost impossible to find people in person. Whereas now, like like Roberta's site, rubberstampmadness.com, is like there's a whole group of people that have kind of coalesced. And she has a magazine, but did you have magazines or other people around you that were really into this stuff? I had nothing. I had nothing. And I was a kid, and not super imaginative about that kind of stuff. Like I had no idea how you met people. Like we'd have the the all night media catalog. I got I finally got this book. Um, which I can't, it's somewhere in my garage, which is a rubber stamp, like all, or like an encyclopedia about rubber stamps. They, they, they listed all the other companies like Hero Arts in Berkeley mm. and uh, Patrick and Company in San Francisco and like these certain, certain local companies. And I would try and get their, I'd write a letter on paper to get their catalog and they'd get their catalog and go, you know, those the old forms you have to write really carefully and then cut it out of the mag and send it in. Anyway, so yeah, I was doing the best I could, but I never, I don't think I ever met a single other person who was, who was into it like that and i just, even now i'm like why was i so into that i mean i really like the image making process it's fun to ink it and stamp it but and and see what you can make i couldn't draw you know but i could kind of i think it's the appeal of like graphic design mm. it's like you're playing with graphic design and do you remember when um when mac uh first came out macintosh computers first came out one of the first things was like mac draw i know exactly what you're talking about it was the greatest thing yeah mac draw you could like select uh, and you could pick up something and it was called a rubber stamp tool and you could like 
stamp it around the screen. And all of a sudden you were making this cool thing and you couldn't draw, but you're making this cool thing. So that's, that's a very similar appeal. Do you remember? I mean, you must remember print shop. Do you remember print shop? The, the yeah. original, Oh yeah. my, if listeners don't know, print shop was probably one of the first, like kind of like, I guess it's a graphic design program for computers, or I, I should say first, my first experience with one, there probably were ones before, but that, that same experience for me too. Like I love drawing. I wasn't amazing at it, but like this idea that suddenly you could kind of like copy things was such I mean, for kids today, they probably have no idea what this is about, but like that was magical, like being able to do that out of in a digital space. And it's funny. And now that I look back on my rubber stamp experience, I think it probably led into that in some ways as well. Right. This idea of like just being able to like plop down something and see it again and again. Uh, super fun. <laughs> it's like actually that's one of the other things It's like it's just joy and fun to be able to do that, right? You're, you're literally whacking. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, how many did you have? Like, were we talking hundreds or talking 500,000? I remember counting when I was like, when I was in a little older, I think I had like 400 stamps. Wow. 400 stamps. That's a lot. But you get into like, do you count the alphabet as 26 stamps? Cheating. And the paid stamp, the paid stamp doesn't really count either. I had one that was a, um, an Oswald before I knew who Oswald was that uh, Mickey Mouse, proto Mickey Mouse character that um, was in Warren's game. But I, uh, yeah, I had an Oswald. Stamp. I just thought it was a cool looking rabbit and I had like a fish. It's really, fish are really handy. You can put a fish on anything and it makes it look kind of funny. You mentioning Oswald and the Freak Brothers and stuff made me think like, is there, and maybe this is a good question for Roberta too is is there a weird connection between like the hippie ex-hippie world and stamps (laughs) i just feel like in some ways there might be a direct link between the two things possibly and i don't know what it was it might have been the craft like the crafting uh, craft fair kind of era and you know what else you might be too young to know about the wretched mess catalog i don't know what no what is it no i never heard of another like i don't even it's something i'm really on the edges of my memory as a kid, but that kind of had that graphic design where they would cut um, old timey ads and put it together with modern doodles. And they were selling, I don't even remember what they were selling crazy, crazy things, but it was all about kind of like hippie underground art direction and mm. crafts and living in Marin. Marin was a part of it. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I, 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 it's one of those things where like, I, I often wonder with things like this that there's been, obviously it's been around for a while and I hopefully Roberta can tell a little bit of the history of this stuff too, but like, there is this like subculture within a subculture too. You often wonder like, well, there must be within, even within the Marin world or with the Northern California world, there are like the, uh, not celebrity designers of stamps, but they're the people that are well known. Like, I wonder, is there, you know, it's funny. I remember this thing when I was a kid, I went to Davis, California because my uncle was graduating from law school. I went there with my dad. And for some reason, there was some connection to some video game stuff there. And I looked this guy up and I went to try to go visit him at his office, which is a really bad thing to do when you're like, you know, 12 years old or whatever. But like, (laughs) even back then, you could find names of people. Was there anybody that like, did you find a name of one of the all night media people? Or was there somebody that you really admired in the space? Uh, There were no celebrities as far as the production of the company of them. That I could figure out in my age. Uh, I remember there was an artist, MK Brown. They're very popular. They're, uh, I remember that name because we got the new MK Brown designs in. And I was like, oh, MK Brown, that's interesting. And there probably was famous artists working there that I just was too young to under, understand. Uh, I, I think it ties into hippiedom in that it's like the means of productions are in the hands of the people in a way. Like yep. it's, it's hard to explain now because anyone, you know, you make a TikTok video or something, you've ca- a f- camera in your phone that's so powerful. You can make something that looks like a professional, like a, a real deal. And so like when we were kids, you could make something on paper with crayon or whatever. You, everything you made homemade looked homemade and everything a company made look, look professional. There's a huge wall between printed matter that came in a magazine than, than anything you could write yourself or draft yourself with a pen or anything like that. Yep. And, but rubber stamps allowed you to take something of that, like someone who could draw, you could take their work and like make something new out of it and make something that looked better than what you could do yourself. So I, and also print letterpress and printing presses are always tied to rebellious movements. I think mm. in some ways, like being able to print literature that's not controlled by, you know, the government or whatever There's, I mean, I, you know, that might be a long stretch, but I feel like printmaking has always been tied to kind of movements and alternative subcultures. Did you ever read the book of the subgenius? Do you know, do you know what that is? Oh, this yeah, that's the same era of graphic design that we're talking about. Yeah. Well, it's funny because there's that there's that character Bob, right? Which is the guy with the pipe. And I remember seeing stamps, and it's actually kind of like wheat pasting too. It's all kind of part of the same thing, right? It's like if you could put a stamp on something, it means something in some ways, right? So I guess some stamps do, like you know, well, your record stamps do, but like, but if you haven't, I remember if I saw somebody do that, and I saw that subgenius image. 
I felt like, oh, I know what that is. You know what I mean? Like I feel connected to that in some way. Even if I, I remember when I read the book the first time, I was just like, I had no idea. <laughs> Actually, the funniest thing is, I don't know if you ever, there was a book called the Boomer Bible. Did you ever, do you know what this is? At all? Mm-hmm. 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 The Boomer Bible was a comedy book that was written in probably the late 80s. And it's a full Bible, but it's rewritten from the perspective of if Jesus and all the people in the Bible were baby boomers. But it's thick and it's crazy. And I remember getting it and thinking that like, oh, this is amazing. I've I've entered into a totally different religion that nobody knows about. And it's just that age when you're like 12 and you just get convinced that like anything you read could be real. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And that's, and that's what the subgenius thing was like when I would see that image it would be like a secret pathway into something different and weird. I guess boomer meant it was not a pejorative term back then. No, back then it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we're going to bring on Roberta relatively soon. What are some things that you're interested in to ask her? Um, And and just, you know, one of the things that I really wanted to do with this podcast is get the chance to bring people who I admire and, and I think are really interesting and bring them in touch with people that are experts and stuff they're interested in. Like, what are some of the things that you're curious about? I'm kind of interested in the history of uh, those companies I mentioned, like All Night Media and Hero Arts and what happened to them and what, who founded them. and Anything about the stories about those groups would be um, fun to hear about and about what's happening in Gross Sense now. Because I, I stopped by the 90s. I was not buying stamps anymore. I recently found them in the garage, so I was excited about that. But I, I, it's not like I've kept up. I mean, I, last time I saw that company, All Night Media, what they were doing, it seemed like it had been acquired or something because it was much more like fancier and more about craft like like um, something you would find at uh, one of those big craft stores they have now, which they didn't have back then. Special glitter inks and making actual nice looking cards, you know, for Mother's Day or something with glitter ink and stuff like that, as opposed to junky, hippie, underground comic looking art. But uh, it's evolved. It's evolved. Yeah, of course. as It has to, I would imagine, right? Like it's... A, and it, oh, just now they're probably like smart stamps where if you make stamp on the ground, it appears on an app on your phone instantly. And When you show these to your kids, what do they mean to them? Do they Do they get anything out of it? To your daughter? Yeah, yeah. She she likes them. And any little kid, they're natural. They're still a natural toy for a little kid. Like any little kid is fascinated being able to pick up something and stamp it and, and feel it in their hands. Like really, especially little kids who are just still excited about holding things. Like And just being able to make um, funny comp- compositions, putting the fish on top of the taco and stamp and, you know, combining images. It's still fun for a kid, but I don't think she would ever get into like buying them and uh, to the extent that I got into it. <laughs> I wanted to hear a little bit about your stamp collection. You haven't talked about how you got into it, how many you had. The inking part of stamps is fascinating to me because I didn't realize this without doing a little bit of research beforehand, but like ink is a big deal to a lot of people who are in the stamp world. Was that a big deal to you when you were collecting them or when you were into the into them? Was ink a big part of it? You you know, the right color and everything. I just I would just buy the all-night media stamps. They had like uh, inking pads. And you can get really into like getting re- uh, refill ink. You know, get a bottle and you like ink your own stamps. kind of like rolling your own bullets or whatever. That's <laughs> 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 pretty advanced. That's pretty advanced. I was just a kid. I was not self-inking. Okay, great. Way too interested. All right, we'll be right back with our expert. But before we do, in the ad break time of the show, which would normally go here, um, I've been doing something kind of fun in this first few episodes since I don't have ads yet, where I'm recommending a book that kind of fits into the vibe of what the show is. And as I've said, this show is about curiosity, discovery, but it's also about like accessing those parts of your brain where those things are available. The book I'm going to recommend today is one of, it's, it's interesting, you know, it's like people have different feelings about these kind of books. This is a book called Tiny Habits by a guy named BJ Fogg. It's more in the self-help range, but also like I'm a big believer in the self-help actualization. Oof, that does not sound good. I don't mean actual self. When you say self-help actualization, it sounds automatically like I'm on an episode of one of those cult shows. I'm not talking about that. This book particularly, though, has incredible points about how to change your habits to do the things you want. Um, And one of those things I um, learned very clearly was about setting small goals for yourself to get things done. I don't know if I've mentioned this here or not, but I'm actually working on a book as well. Um, My kind of lifelong dream has always been to be a writer for mostly for children, kids. Like I grew up reading um, Roald Dahl books and there's an author named D. uh, Manis Pinkwater. His name is Daniel Pinkwater that I was a big fan of. So I've always kind of dabbled in that world and I'm in the middle of working on a book for that age group. This is, you know, kind of like kids from like, say, 8 to 12, 8 to 13. Anyway, this book does such a good job of helping you kind of fight against those things that push you away. Like, I know that a lot of people probably have this tendency to procrastinate. That's one of my biggest problems with procrastination. 
And just knowing that little tiny changes can make you improve incrementally and then you can grow upon those things. So anyway, it doesn't seem like it's connected to creativity and discovery, but it really is. And I encourage you to check it out. It's called Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg. It was a transformative book for me and it might be for you as well. All right, let's get back to our interview. Now, this is, <laughs> I love this story because Tim is a fan of rubber stamps. He brought up rubber stamps. And so he, I looked around for who an expert is. That's kind of how it works out. Like I find the, I find the topic and then I try to find the expert. And I found this incredible website slash magazine that's been in publishing since 1982 called Rubber Stamp Madness. And Tim hadn't heard of it, but these guys have been in this world forever. And so I called the woman who runs it. Um, her name is Roberta Sperling. And she's the most charming woman. She's been running it for a very long time, um, knows so much about this world. And my favorite thing is that her email, she signs her emails Ruberta, R-U-B-B-E-R-T-A, which is just the cutest thing. So anyway, uh, she knows a lot about rubber stamps and Tim and her really geek out on this a little bit. So I hope you enjoy the second half of the interview. Welcome back to Way Too Interested. And we are joined now by Roberta Sperling, who is the proprietor and I think the owner, right, of Rubber Stamp Madness, um, which is a magazine that's been in in print since 1982, is it, or before that, 1982? Before that. Before that even. And then also rubberstampmadness.com. She is an expert on rubber stamps, so much so that she goes by an alias which is Roberta Stampling. (laughs) Roberta Stampling. Roberta Stampling. Uh, Welcome. Welcome, Roberta. Thanks for being here. Well, nice to be here with you. I can't believe there was a magazine about rubber stamps that I didn't know it back when I was so heavily into it. Back in 1982, which is when I was really into it. See, with the internet, uh, I didn't didn't know how to connect with these groups. There was no internet. It started in, someone else started in 1980. She'd written a book called Rubber Stamp Album, and that started the magazine. That's the book I have. That's the book I have. I was trying to dig it out of my garage, but I couldn't find it. But I have, I have. what was her name again? Lowry Thompson and Joni Miller. Yes, I had that book. It was amazing. It listed all the companies, and yeah, it was an amazing, amazing book. I still have it somewhere. I have a copy. The website in the magazine is called Rubber Stamp Madness. When you talk about, well, tell me about the madness part of rubber stamps. How does that fit into everything? Well, it, you know, people have a lot of fun. It's a hobby, and people enjoy it. And also early, maybe in the 80s, it was kind of zany. There weren't a lot of rubber stamp companies, so people found rubber stamps wherever they could. They were like anatomical rubber stamps. They just took rubber stamps and did artwork with them. It's still a little mad. It's still like I was going to show you. Okay, so we have this old issue from 1988 called Stampers of Justice. And I thought to myself, uh, I, it's, it's really today, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. These are all, everything on the cover is rubber stamp. So wow. these are rubber stamp. Really? So people were just having a lot of fun. That, that looks like a complete custom illustration. I don't understand how someone, that's some advanced stamp, stamping right there. Well, I thought, Tim, you liked All Night Media, I was told, and Bob Lumberg. So um, this is the cover Bob Bloomberg did for Rubber Stamp Madness many years ago. Oh, wow. And each window has an image from the company. And then there's a story about Bob and his wife inside who owned the company. And they had a great sense of humor. I mean, they're really goofy. And uh, that's part of the fun. And you can do kind of surreal things. So you could have a really big potato and a really little elf or a big elf and a really little potato. I mean, you could do anything. So that, that's part of the, the madness. And we sort of inherited the name Rubber Stamp Madness. So it's not something we did. It's the person that did the book. Yeah, and they run the gamut. I remember that Rubber Stamp album would talk about these companies that uh, range from wacky kind of underground art to very serious. There was an architectural company that made very serious stamps for architects to put like a tiny person in a, in a tree next to their building, you know. And, and stamps with clear handles, lucite handled, so you could see exactly where you're precisely stamping. Nice. And, and look at that, that cover you just pointed out. I remember advanced stamping techniques, you know, like masking, like that you would make a stamp and then cut it out and then use that to mask the stamp. I mean, the same thing you do in Photoshop today, but like in this analog way, you'd mask it so you could kind of clip the stamp. That could, I was trying to think of how they got those superheroes in your picture to like, sit around that table. I was like, 
maybe they was that one big stamp or what? It's just tr- it's re-triggering all these things in my brain. They're like, oh, I wonder how they did that. Well, you should give us your address. Both of your addresses, we'll send you copies. I mean, it's really, you know, we just love it. And the people are very, they're very generous in terms of giving um, their artwork and they're very friendly. Here's a big box here. Here's one of them. Oh, yeah. When we bought Rubber Stamp Madness from Lowry, it came with 400 stamps. Oh, I know that stamp. Well, well, yeah, describe that stamp. What were we just looking at there? It's like a, it's like a cat in a suit. It's like a hep cat in a zoot suit, and he's got a, like a Mickey Mouse tie and a fish in his pocket. So, Roberta, you said you know that stamp. Does that mean you've you've seen that act, like not that actual stamp, but like a small group of those were sold, and you know it, and you've seen it in the past? Oh, yeah, I've seen that stamp. Well, I don't know if you remember our Chrome comics from the past, but there was a company that took comic. She was friendly with our Chrome and she let he let her make Mr. Natural, Flaky Foomed, all those people remember Oh, look at it. It's all connected. It's all connected. We we're just talking about like Freak Brothers comics and like Mr. Natural. So wait, the all night media woman who made those or you said that she was a friend with our crumb? Is that what you're saying? No, it was another company. All night media was owned by uh, Bob Blumberg and his wife, Marilyn Freund. And uh, Top Drawer was owned by someone whose name escapes me now, but she's still actually, she, she was friendly with R. Crumb. But different interests and different focuses for their stamp collections. Is there, a, is there like a connection? We were talking about a connection between the counterculture and stamps. Was there, was there a real connection there? Yes. What I think the connection that got made that was strongest was something called male art, M-A-I-L. And that was a counterculture thing where the idea was no jury, no fees, no rejection. So people sent mail art, and often it was rubber stamped. It was through the mail. You entered an exhibit. People would have an exhibit. They'd do a call for art. You'd send it in the mail, and it would all be displayed. And you didn't pay anything, and you everything got displayed. So it was kind of saying, let's be open about this art. Let's just share it freely, no judgments. That's a little of the counterculture, but then the the images were often counterculture images. You know, you've got cartoons and a lot of strange stuff. <laughs> I had not I had not heard about that. Well, let me ask you if you remember this. Do you remember the Wretched Mess catalog? The what? Wretched Mess catalog or Richard Mess. I think it was Wretched Mess, and it. I'll have to Google it, see if it still exists. But uh, it, I think it sounds like that mail art thing you're talking about. They would have these crazy envelopes and stuff you could buy. I don't know. That's interesting. You saying that makes me want to look all that stuff up. Yeah. Well, we can send you stuff. I mean, we people are still doing mail art. There's a company in Germany that's going to have a show in a couple months. And it was big for a while. It, now, now the Internet changed it all because now people are just sharing their things with Instagram and other ways. And the post office isn't the main way to get your mail, your art across. We were talking about in terms of like the most interesting examples, like is there, I had a thought, I was trying to wonder, is there like a Mona Lisa type of stamps or is there a very famous stamp that exists out there that you know of? Or is it, is it more kind of democratic than that and it's more personalized? No, there are too many. I mean, there are hundreds. When Rubber Stamp Album was published, there were, they talked about 5,000 stamps. There are probably 250,000 different stamps now. Wow. Stamp companies in India. We have stamp subscribers in Poland, Japan. I mean, it's much bigger, but it's also not as zany in a way. Mm. It's more mainstream. But it's, uh, you know, some of the older stamps, I mean, actually, Tim, some of your stamps are probably worth a lot of money. (laughs) Really? They've been well-loved, I'll say that. They have not, um, they're not in pristine condition. There are a lot of different Mona Lisa stamps. I mean, images of Mona Lisa, you know, art, Elvis. What got you into this originally, Roberta? Like, what was it, what was it about this that drew you in? Well, I, my husband was the stamper. I gave him a subscription to the original Rubber Stamp Madness and uh, as a present, and uh, the person that had it decided she wanted to sell it. So we were running weekly newspapers, and we looked at each other. We said, oh, we could do this. And so we did. And you've stuck with it as a hobby or is it because of the magazine or how have you uh, stayed with it all these years? 
well, it was, it's been really good to us. It was very, very, very popular in the 90s. It's like we had a waiting list for advertising because we couldn't find everybody in the issue. We had to keep growing, and we just loved it. I mean, it was fun. And he's a writer, and I learned the tech stuff. We had different sizes. You know, we've been, all, we've been little, we've been big, back little. You know, we're 72 pages now, which is fine. Well, I'm going to subscribe. I'm, I didn't even know this existed. This is really <laughs> and look, so this one is a uh, is like useful. It's a blank snow globe, so you could put another stamp inside of it. You could put your skull and crossbones inside of it if you wanted to. A blank fortune cookie, another favorite. Oh yes, very good. That's from Rubber Stampede in Berkeley. They're they're owned by another company. They're still out there. Do you have any Leavenworth Jackson stamps? Is that an artist or a company? Leavenworth Jackson. She was, she's in the Rubber Stamp album. She's one of the longest the companies with the most longevity. Can you tell us her story? She was a woman who her art wasn't getting, she was an artist, her art wasn't getting selected, so she decided to change her name to Two Streets in San Francisco. <laughs> That's awesome. And she named herself Rubber Leavenworth Jackson. And then she started doing stamps in her art, and people liked them. So then she started making stamps. She's still making stamps in, in Berkeley. Does she do commissions then now, or does she just make her own and then she kind of puts them out into the world? Or does she, when it, when it like, say when a new Leavenworth Jackson comes out, is that like a big event in the stamp world? Well, to her customers, yes. Like she has everybody's, all the companies are on the internet now. People look online. You can look at her catalog. You can look for her stamps. She probably lets people know when they're, out there. Sorry, I'm digging around. I'm trying to find my Mr. T stamp for Gavin. I had a little Mr. T stamp. Here's a marching band of chickens. Oh, yes, we have that. Oh. We, you know, Tim, a lot of your stamps are in my husband's collection, which we see. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the golden age. These are golden age stamps. Let's face it. I liked all, like, I liked all weird business stamps, too. Like, I'd go to, like, because you could collect old um, insured value or some, like, uh, state like bankrupt or something like you could get these like business stamps and then just make stuff out of those too they're part of like the fun of collaging images out of just random office jargon on a stamp there's a fellow named bill gaglioni he had a rubber stamp company and he did mail art a lot he did a bunch of different things and he on the fringe but he had a rubber stamp museum where he would get anything to do with rubber stamps in his museum and he he had like we have an avon bottle that's a rubber stamp. And he had anything weird that had to do with rubber stamps. He, he had it. And you'd send it to him. And he had a big collection. And actually, I think he had an exhibit in Minneapolis at the Art Center. Is there a big wall in your house that we're not seeing that is covered floor to ceiling with stamps? That's, okay. So behind me, so behind me, I don't know if you can see that. Those are just a few covers. Other, the big piece... The big square, the big, that's a set of tarot cards made with rubber stamps by different artists. Oh, neat. So someone knew a lot of different artists. She asked them to send them, everyone had like a card they were making of tarot. No, it's a deck of cards. She did a tarot deck too. But that's a deck of cards that went to the printer. So it's before it got printed and cut. So she sent us a sheet. You know, Roberta, one thing Tim and I were talking about was the idea that sometimes stamping can allow people who aren't like amazing artists to do really cool art things. Do you find that that's true in, in, the, in the stuff that you've seen and what people are interested in? I think I often of it as folk art. Like a lot of those people are not artists. They're self-trained. They don't feel like they have to draw, but they have a design sense. And all these images are at their fingertips. And yes, absolutely. And the art comes from... Putting two things next to each other that don't belong to each other, like you were talking about. You know, like you chose to juxtapose the skull and crossbones with a fortune cookie to create a different meaning. What it always says to me is how, how creative people are. There's creativity everywhere. We, we had one issue where we had kids rubber stamp art. I mean, it was fun. But people are very amazing at what they do with the stamps. And just like anything now, there's videos and Oh, there were stamp cruises for a while. I was whoa, like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Wait, let's get into that. We got a scene that I want to hear about. <laughs> Tell, did you go on one? Did you go down to the rubber tree plantations? And I was a them? keynote speaker. <laughs> That's great. It was fun. But people stamped. I mean, here you are in this gorgeous <laughs> Alaska. And people were in the ship stamping. 
some of them did. I mean, it's kind of meditative, I would imagine, right? To just sit there and do it because it's a. I I do some drawing and painting, but like there can be a level of like a very meditative state. But when you're drawing, there's a lot of like risk involved and if you mess something up or anything but with stamping it feels like it's a little bit more free because you have a pre-designed thing and you're just kind of like plunking it down is it is it meditative do people enjoy it they they really do absolutely the mistakes all become part of it like i think like you're like if you're doing a piece of um letterpress any kind of printmaking it's a little more free form than that. Instead of trying to make one perfect print of your piece of art, you're making this collage. And part of a collage is like you're, if your ink doesn't work quite right, you know, if you make a, a ghost image, you can just do another one next to it. And it's just part of the charm of it. You know, it's part of the appeal of it. Well, people will say it's just paper. It's just paper. It's not anything fancy. But some of it is really good. I get carried away, but I think some of the people are really, really good. It unlocks a part of the creative mind that I think People don't realize to create a, an image, a visual image, a work of art, there are all these different levels you can work at. You can work at the high concept, like what is the topic, what is the theme, what is the content of this picture, and all the way down to the you know, technique of like putting graphite on paper and smudging with your finger and all that. And then in between, there are all these different layers of so, like a comp- composition, how you're using the frame and all that stuff. And I think we all think of artists because they're, you assume you have to be good at every single one of those layers to make a work of art. And so that's why so few people get into it because like it's really hard for a human brain to know all those things, to be good at all those different layers. Rubber stamps, it takes that lower level off of it. Okay, you don't need to know how to actually draw a realistic face. You know, you don't have to, but you might have a, a skill in terms of composition or how to use color or interesting ways to compare two, juxtapose two images together. Like these are all different skills that it now lets people who only know how to do that create interesting works. And some of them have their own styles. You can sort of tell someone's rubbers, oh, this came from Jackie Grace, or this came from Janet McGilvery. They have a style that they've, they've achieved by stamping a lot. Someone wrote me a letter the other day. She's been stamping for 35 years. And she doesn't even think she's that good. She's really good. <laughs> her hands must be just covered in ink. There's be like black, <laughs> black fingers all the way up to her forearms and just blue and black ink. That's a good question. What is the best way to take the ink off? Have you figured that out, Roberta? I'm assuming that you've got a pretty good sense of it. <laughs> well, there's 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 special stuff you can use. People, oh yeah, sure. Baby wipes. <laughs> oh, speaking of baby wipes, there's actually I read in one of your articles on the website. There's actually a baby wipe technique, right? I, I was drawn to it because I was like, how what? could you use baby wipes? Yeah, tell. Can you tell us what that is? What is the baby wipe technique? It has to do with coloring. You know, and I don't. I mean, I'd have to look at the article. I'm not that good at it. But, you know, people come up with things like they use Q-tips, like they put ink on the Q-tips, and then they color with that to get in small spaces. They use, while it was cosmetic sponges, that they get like a soft look. Sometimes they just use the stamp pad itself and go whack and just put it on the paper. The baby wipes, it is on the website, I should I love how Roberta's seen all these phases come and go. She's like, for a while, it was cosmetics. Remember that year when everything was cosmetics? <laughs> She's seen it all. She's <laughs> There's more to come. There's more to come. Yeah, it seems like it keeps going. Yeah. What, what's the future of uh, rubber stamping? Like, in, you know, a lot of things about the technology and the internet have, have made some things obsolete, but is there a way that they're actually enhancing? Like, for one thing, there's connectivity. Like, you can meet other people, right? Yeah. Who do the same thing. But what else? Well, I think what we're seeing actually now, this past year, is one, an appreciation of having a hobby that you can do at home, and it is meditative, is relaxing, is satisfying. Also, it's a way to connect. I mean, people are writing letters and communicating. So I think that's sometimes, I mean, people get tired of looking at a screen. So this hand-on, we used to say high-tech, high-touch. So at a certain point, the high touch, which is a rubber stamp piece, it may come back. I think, I don't know what the future is. You know, I'm still surprised. You know, I've always, I've been surprised the whole time. I never know what's going to happen next. And that's sort of the fun. Are you still stamping, Tim? This was kind of a, in some ways, a forgotten hobby. Like I always, I was so into it. I had like 400 stamps and uh, got into college and just got a job. And then, you know, I kind of like, you know, we acquire one here and there and it kind of uh, faded away until I discovered this box at my parents' house of like, oh, yeah, grandkids, like my, my sister's kids had found them and pulled them out. 
And I was like, what are you doing with my stamps? <laughs> I saw how much fun they were having and how natural they are for a kid to, to play with. And, um, and I immediately stole them away from them and took them back home again. I was like, no, you can't. <laughs> and I still have them. All the, all the ink pads are completely destroyed. In fact, they turned really weird and evil. Like some, some of these old ink pads that were dripping unknown substances out of them. So I got some fresh ink pads and I'm going to make, um, like I was explaining to Gavin during quarantine, it was my wife and daughter's birthday and I couldn't go out and buy wrapping paper. And so I just got some brown paper and made wrapping paper out of rubber stamps again. And I forgot how useful they can be, you know, for birthday cards. Cause you can quickly make, I can't draw one off to make someone a birthday card. You know, if I made someone a birthday card, the joke would be how bad I was drawing, but with rubber stamps, uh, not that it's great art, but it's very unique art. It's very individual and, and of the moment, you know? Well, I think to that sense of handmade, that you did this yourself and you gave it to someone, you spent some time. But that means something to people. Can I ask you, Roberta, what happened to uh, the founders of All Night Media? They just retired. They sold their company for, they did very well, to a company called Plaid, which was a craft, big craft supplier. Bob probably, I think he might have even done movies for a while. I can try to find them. <laughs> you know, I lost touch. It always was fun to get their catalog because it always did feel like a family-run business. Like you're, you're either hearing their, seeing their writing and their stories. They just seemed like people you'd want to meet. Like you'd just like, oh, it seems like a fun little family business. And I remember when they, I could sense when they got acquired because all of a sudden the stamps were in stores I'd never thought they'd ever be in. And they were all sold along with glitter and like fancy. It was like a more emphasis on making a beautiful card with a beautiful uh, rainbow butterflies on it. And like a different, well, like you said, a little craftier. Look. More mainstream. At first, they just went to, cra- to to fairs, like street fairs, with their stamps. Like they had a table, and they sold their stamps, all these companies. It was just kind of like a really mom and pop. Then they went to a gift show, and they got people wanted to put their stamps in their drugstores and you know, places, and they just got bigger and bigger. And then then got more commercial. There's still quite a few funky companies. Yeah, who's making? Who, who would you suggest we check out? Like, what's the new? What's the new all night media type of company? Not that not that there's another one of those, but like, what's somebody that's making really interesting stamps now? Well, the biggest stamp company, oh, top drawer. She's not around anymore, but I don't think she talks about coming back in, but then she doesn't do it. The biggest company, Eva Las Vegas Stamps. They have a store in Las Vegas. They probably have twenty thousand different rubber stamps. I could send you a video from their store. I mean, it's all neon. I mean, it's funky. You just write down, you can write down actors on their website. And you get all these actors. You can write down insects. And you get insects. A, a store like that, like, so if there's 20,000 stamps, are they making, are they mass producing those? Or are they hand, how do they made? Are they, are they made by hand or no? As far as I know, most people are making them by hand. I don't know. Some of the companies, the stamps are made in Japan, the bigger companies. Some of them, I think, I think Viva Las Vegas, you make a, a magnesium plate. with. You take a black and white drawing. You get a magnesium plate that raises the, the line drawings on the plate. You put that in another matrix. That goes in what's called a vulcanizer with a sheet of rubber. And under heat and pressure, the rubber gets... Um, squished into the matrix, cut out the individual stamps, which have raised portion. Is it easy to do on your own or is it difficult? It's not hard. People used to have even toaster size, like Leavenworth had one of these really tiny vulcanizers for a while, but you can. But most people, I mean, it's time consuming. You can buy a vulcanizer? That's incredible. I remember talking to her on the phone once and she was cutting rubber while we talked. You know, she was cutting the, the stamps out, and she was going to have to glue them onto a, a backing and then put that on a piece of wood. These pieces of wood are beautiful, like polished and um, finished works of art themselves, just the wood, you know, like uh, if you had these handles in your house, they'd be really fine. Cabinet maker would make something like that. So they, they, they must have been like hand sanding these themselves. Got a tentacle, and if, this was very useful. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. This is great for Gavin's podcast. I'm just holding up things and not talking about it. But this is like a stamp of a finger pointing at you. Like we want you for the army. It's very useful. And these tiny tentacles, you could just make them come out of anything. Right. Anything could be sprouting a tentacle. Yeah, we did have a cover with tentacles. 
But some of the people, there was a company in, actually in Oregon, in Sisters, Oregon, Central Oregon, where he'd been a cartoonist for Disney. And he had just amazing cartoon art. But they're not doing it anymore. I mean, I think it's like, I've been in video games for 30 years, and I recently, like in the last five to seven years, have gotten obsessed in a different way with board games. Like, I play tons of board games. I'm thinking about board games all the time. And I, I wonder if it's just after all these years of playing video games, there's just something about analog and tactile physical object handling, you know, just like the high touch thing you're talking about. The cardboard and the wood pieces and the moving around, sitting around a table with other people. Is this just like humans just naturally are like, I've had enough screens and now I would like to touch some rubber. That sounds weird, but like, I like you know, the, the, the feeling of the wood versus the feeling of the rubber and like the cardboard chits in the game and the rolling the dice. Like, it's just, are we all just reaching for something, uh, you know, physical and analog in our lives? Well, I think it is a connection. Like, my husband and I play board games all the time. And, in fact, when I saw your um, your Vita, I thought, oh, you know, we probably, we probably play the same games. But <laughs> it's nice not to be so focused on a screen and to have uh, that interaction. We play with friends. Even now, during the last year, we've played on Zoom. Like, we get our friend the same game, and we play. So... People are probably rubber stamping on Zoom. I got a friend who was an, an animator who uh, he worked on, um, you know, Pixar type movies. And he's like, you know, I'm, I've gotten into claymation recently. And it's like, wow, that sounds so much harder than doing uh, computer animation. It was, yeah, but when I, when I push on the clay, like I, I mold the clay with my hand to do claymation, I feel like the clay is pushing back and feeding my soul. Whereas when I work on a computer doing CG animation, I feel like the computer is sucking the soul out of me. <laughs> it's like f- physical objects press back on you, and they press back and they give you something back in a funny way. And they, that our fingertips are so sensitive, you know, and I feel like they, they activate so many parts of our brain that we just, you know, don't when we're staring at stuff. That's very nice. I agree. I think that's, I, to me, that's the huge thing about anything that you're doing art-wise that isn't on a screen. It just makes you feel, there's a tactileness about it, right? You feel connected to something other than something. You know, there's something there. I mean, I feel bad putting it down since it gave me all my uh, livelihood video games. But, you know, obviously digital uh, screens and everything let you reach other people and, and distribute what you're doing. And this podcast would just be three people sitting in a room talking and <laughs> <laughs> no one listening unless we open the window. I have one last question, which is, and I kind of introduced this early on, but Tim is really one of the most like uh, joyful people I know that I've met over the course of my life. And we don't know each other super well, but every time I meet him, he seems to be kind of full of energy and everything. And one of the things I think that's because is he's a super curious person and kind of is interested in a lot of different things. People that are interested in this and are really deep into it, do they seem like they're joyful? Because you seem joyful to me as well. Like you seem like a very joyful person. And joy, I think, is just kind of such an important thing in life. Do you do you feel like the rubber stamp world is a, is a joyful one? Yes, absolutely. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, I think part of it, it's a hobby. People, you know, they relax with their hobbies. It's creative. And they're, it's very, for some reason, they're very sharing about it. We have an, a column in our magazine called uh, the Bulletin Board. So people can send in their birthday. And people who don't know them will send them birthday cards. Wow. We had an intern working for, you know, she didn't get any male birthday cards one year. She was working with us. So we put something in Rubber Stamp Madness about this person, she got the most beautiful cards from all. Oh. So it's like, it's like this, like, I, I just think this is fun. I want to share it. So that's really joyful. I mean, I love it, you know, and I've been doing it a long time. I love that. Sorry. I love that. I mean, part of this is related to, Remember mail? Remember how great mail was? It's related to I used another obsession I had was old typewriters. I loved old typewriters, kind of like rubber stamps in a way. And uh, typing a letter to somebody, people would be they would love it to get like a three page typed letter that you sent them with some rubber stamps in the margins. Like I have boxes of uh, letters from college in the basement, and I uh, I just I remember letters. That's all I'm gonna say. They were great. <laughs> they were good. They're fun. All right. Well, thanks. This is awesome. Thank you, Tim, for bringing this subject up because I think it really helped me kind of get uh, back into what I was interested with rubber stamps. And Roberta, thank you so much for joining us. Um, 
you know, one thing we try to ask our guests or experts when they go is if they're obsessed with something right now. Is there anything that's kind of on your mind that you can't get rid of outside of rubber stamps? Well, I, all I, like nowadays, it's like I've got to get those weeds out of my garden. That's great. Uh, well, thank you so much to both of you, uh, Tim Schaefer and Roberta Sperling. Roberta, we can find uh, Rubber Stamp Madness at rsmadness.com. Is that right? Yes. But please send me your email, your addresses. We'll send you copies. And I'll try to send Tim. I think this is might be my only copy left, but I can get some <laughs> for him. About <laughs> oh, man. That'd be so exciting. All right, everybody, that's it for another edition of Way Too Interested. Um, thanks to my guest, Tim Schaefer. Go follow him wherever he is. I think he is on Twitter, uh, so find him on Twitter. Roberta Sperling, the editor of Rubber Stamp Madness. Go to rsmadness.com to learn more or subscribe. I'm sure she would love it if you subscribe there. Thank you to the Gregory Brothers for making my theme song. I love it. It's great. It uh, fits me well. Thank you to Eric Johnson for helping me produce this podcast. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode. Talk to you soon.